Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. The word of God speaks to us. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is God's word to us. All right. Hey, good morning, guys. It's good to see you. Thanks for being with us. If we haven't met yet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here. So it's, uh, it's good to have you. Thanks for venturing out this morning and being with us today. Uh, man, I'm really excited about where we are headed in, in today's sermon, but then over the next few weeks. If you're just ju- joining in, jumping in with us, uh, we've been going through the, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians. We've been going through this letter for several weeks now, for months and months, and it's been wild. It's been crazy. We've seen a lot of stuff. And we're now at the section in the letter in chapters 12 through 14 where Paul addresses in the most explicit, the most uh, long-winded in a, in a helpful way uh, topic of the Holy Spirit and his role in the church to give spiritual gifts, to give gifts of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're looking at over the next several weeks. We're going to take the next nine weeks total to uh, really unpack chapters 12 through 14. And uh, if you're with us last week, Pastor Aaron Addison talked about three of the gifts. There's nine mentioned in chapter 12 that we're going to directly look at. Last week, we looked at three of those nine. We looked at words of wisdom, words, words of knowledge, and, uh, and, and how to discern between spirits or dis- distinguishing between spirits. What is a demonic spirit versus the Holy Spirit and who has the gift to be able to uh, discern between those and weigh those? Today, we're gonna talk about three more of the nine. We're gonna talk about faith and healing and miracles. And then uh, over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll talk about a whole sermon on uh, prophecy and we'll do a whole sermon on speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. I know you can't wait for that one. You're excited. Uh, it, honestly, some of you are like, are you nervous about doing a whole sermon on tongues? After preaching on head coverings, I don't feel nervous anymore about anything. I don't even care what we do at this point. I'm just happy to be here. So uh, a whole sermon on tongues. Yeah, heck yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait. That'll be fun. So that's coming up. And then for those of you skeptics in the room that you're like, I don't know about any of this stuff, we're going to do a whole sermon on why we believe that spiritual gifts still exist, that everything we read about in the book of Acts continues to happen even to this very day. So we'll do a whole sermon on that, uh, something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 and try to, try to give you our defense for why we think that. So that's where we're headed, but I'm really excited about today. So what I wanna do is, is uh, pray for us. If you would pray for me and I will pray for you and we'll jump in. Sound good? Okay, Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the gift that it is to sit under the word today. I, I know uh, some, I know many of the names and the faces and the stories in this room, but there's some people I don't know. I don't know what they're carrying. I don't know what's inside of them. I don't know uh, what passions or burdens they have or what uh, frustrations they carry or pain, but whatever it is, you see and you know, and I just pray today that you would meet them with your love and with your grace. Meet them with the truth of your word. This is a sermon that, God, we, we, just, we need to hear from your voice, not mine. We need to hear from your heart, not mine. We need to hear your words and your word, not mine. So would you come and would you move and would you work? And we want to submit to you in every way. I pray that you would uh, raise the level of faith in our church and raise the desire to see people healed and raise the desire to see things happen that only you can happen. And in particular, I pray that you would take off the weird Western blinders that we wear that makes us think of the world as just a natural place and not a supernatural place. Help us to remember that this is our Father's world, and you own and rule over all things, and you can break in even in 
times that feel not, not natural, but supernatural. So just come and move. Meet us today. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. In November of 2011, Dale and Shannon Hickman, who were members of the Followers of Christ Church in Oregon City, Oregon, were sentenced to 75 months in prison with three years of probation. What was their crime? Well, they refused to seek medical assistance for their son, who was born two months premature and weighing less than four pounds. Tragically, he died nine hours after being born. And the exact wording of the press release said this. It said, in the case of the Hickmans, when their baby's health began failing after his premature birth, the father responded by praying and anointing him with olive oil instead of seeking proper medical treatment. During the trial, prosecutors argued that the couple had ample time to get medical assistance after the premature birth of their baby. Pediatric experts testified that if they had done so, the infant would have had a 99% chance of survival. What I've found over the last 15 years of, of ministry, of pastoral ministry, is that when it comes to a lot of the confusion and pain and heartache and sort of a, a lack of trust or maybe a distrust of anything related to charismatic theology, it's usually because people carry pain and bad stories and abuse and misuse around the three particular things that we're going to look at today, faith and miracles and healing. Chances are all of you in this room either know someone or personally still are in relationship with someone who refuse to get proper medical treatment at times, refuse to uh, embrace uh, doctors or hospitals, and instead just are kind of waiting and relying on God for a miracle, as if somehow medicine and God working are, uh, are incongruent with each other, that they can't coexist together. Chances are you know someone like that, or, or maybe for you, it's that you've just interacted on TV or otherwise with people who had a name it and claim it and blab it and grab it type theology. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where they sort of treat God like a pinata and faith is this whacking stick that if you just hit God hard enough with the, the stick of faith and you know BMWs fall from the sky and healings and miracles and whatever else, God's a vending machine that you just put quarters in and press the buttons, beep, boop, boop, and then all the stuff that you want comes down. You know, By the way, that's how vending machines sound if you're curious. Um, and, and so some of you are turned off just from jump as we start this conversation because you don't want anything to do with that. And what's ironic about those people with the, the name it and claim it theology is that often those people don't see a lot of healings happen around them, do they? So you're just sort of like, the whole thing is a sham. The emperor is wearing no clothes. When are we going to say that? These people that apparently have a lot of faith are not seeing profound things happen all the time. Or maybe, maybe for you, what it is is that you personally have prayed for healing. Maybe your own healing or maybe the healing of somebody in your life that you loved and God did not answer the prayer with the way that you thought. Maybe instead of seeing somebody healed, you went to a funeral. And you just wonder, like, I, I don't know where I'm at with this conversation because I carry pain around this specific topic. There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of skepticism, and maybe at best, there's just some plain confusion around how Christians today should think about things like faith and miracles and healing. So let me just tell you where we're headed today. What I'm gonna do is unpack what Paul says here. He's mentioning these gifts of the Holy Spirit briefly. So what I wanna do is actually try to look at each three of these things and we're gonna define them, unpack them. And then what I wanna do is try to spend some time showing you both in biblical history, how we see this playing out, and then even in our own day today within Frontline Church, how we see these things continue to play out. So we'll first look at faith, then we'll look at miracles, and then we'll close with healing. That's where we're going. Sound good? All right, so if you're with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 9, and let's jump in. Paul writes, he says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, this is really interesting, right? He's talking about faith as a spiritual gift. He's talking about the gift of faith, that faith is a spiritual gift that God, through the Holy Spirit, pours out and gives to the church for the common good. How interesting is this? The, the thing that's confusing is that the word faith is used in different ways throughout Scripture, at least three ways that I can think of that the word faith is used in Scripture. The first is to talk about conversion faith, conversion faith. This is the type of faith that you exercise when you look away from yourself 
away from your morality, away from your goodness, uh, away from your badness, away from your track record. You look away from yourself and you look solely to Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he loved you and gave himself for you, that you look away from yourself and look to him and trust that, count that, hope in that enough that you're basically saying, when I die, my only hope, my only hope in life and in death is Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection on my behalf. That's conversion faith. Uh, The Apostle Paul defines it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, not the faith or the grace. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I love this. God literally comes to people who can't trust him, can't believe in him, that want nothing to do with him. And he drops on them in an instant because of his grace, the gift of faith that we go from not believing to believing. And we're not believing that we're good people. If you're new to Christianity, we're not here because we think that we're moral or because we've done enough stuff to do away with all the bad stuff that we've done. We are only here because when we were dead in sin, God gave us the gift of faith. And now we trust in Jesus that his death and his resurrection, they're sufficient for me. That's it. That's it. That's why we're here. Like growing up in church, we did this weird evangelistic a scare tactic where you'd knock on a stranger's door, you know, hey, if you were to die tonight, uh, this is a weird question because I'm a stranger and I'm knocking on your door. If you were to die tonight and stand before God, how do you know that you'd go to heaven? And what would you say? The, the answer for us as followers of Jesus is he died for me. He rose again. He lived the life that I couldn't live. I'm literally just banking on him, not myself. Amen. That's conversion faith. This is a a powerful gift of God's grace. The second type of faith is continuing faith. This is the faith that you and I exercise in the day-to-day now that we are followers of Jesus. It's continually depending on and having confidence in God for the day-to-day. It's trusting that his promises are true, trying to again come back to trust his character, learning to hear no's from our Father, learning that when he tells us no about things, that he actually knows better than we do, and we're daily walking in faith and trust and confidence in God. This is the type of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about. And then finally, the third way that we see the word faith being used is to describe something that I'll just call charismatic faith charismatic faith. Now, charismatic faith is different than uh, conversion faith or continuing faith. Charismatic faith is the type of faith that a person exercises that's often in conjunction with miraculous, powerful, unexplainable events occurring, sometimes healing or otherwise. This is a type of faith or trust that God is God and he can do whatever he wants. And yes, he can even intervene and break into our world. I think this is what Jesus describes in Matthew 17 when his disciples are struggling to cast out a demon, a a powerful, miraculous event that they are struggling to do. And they're asking Jesus about it. And here's what we read. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, a a tiny little seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus is describing something unexplainable, powerful, miraculous occurring because of this type of charismatic faith, right? And I think... I want to argue that that's the exact same type of faith that the Apostle Paul is thinking of and writing about in 1 Corinthians 12. Let me show you why I think that. Go to 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verse 2. He says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, notice this, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. He's hearkening back to the words of Jesus about moving mountains. He's talking about a type of faith that's sort of just unexplainable. So let me, let me define this charismatic faith for you. The gift of faith is the spirit-empowered ability to believe that God can do and will do something even when you don't have a specific promise of that in the Bible. 
It's believing that God can do and will do something, even though you can't find anywhere in Scripture where he promises to do that specific thing. You just, you just know that you know, like, God's going to show up this way. He's going to do this. I just have this charismatic type of faith. And here's what's interesting. This can be both instantaneous, like you can get it in a moment. Remember last week, Aaron talked about how some of the gifts of the Spirit are stuff that we carry with us, like the gift of teaching or hospitality or mercy. You carry that with you everywhere you go. But there are other gifts that are just more circumstantial or occasional or just happen to be given on the fly by God through the Spirit in a moment for that particular thing. Well, I think that faith can be both. Faith can be something that you're just given in a moment. There are times where I don't know why. I just know that God is going to do whatever it is that I'm praying for him to do. I can't explain it. I just, there's not a doubt in my mind that he's going to show up in the ways that we're asking. There are other times where I encounter people that I think have the gift of faith, that just sort of live their life that way. Do you know anybody like that? They just sort of trust God for impossible things, and they, those impossible things tend to follow them everywhere they go. Let me give you a biblical example and a historical example. The biblical one is Elijah. Elijah. Now, we read this in James chapter 5 in connection with this idea of the prayer of faith. And James, a brother of Jesus, he writes this about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Pause. That's really encouraging, isn't it? Like if Elijah walked in, you wouldn't be like, oh, it's a mighty, powerful prophet. You'd be like, some dude. Some, some guy, he looks normally, he, he, he's, he has a frame like ours, he has a state like ours, emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually. Elijah is just like us, but notice, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. That might seem really weird. You're like, why is he, why is he praying about the weather? Like, does he live in Portland? Is he concerned about the constant rain? No, it, it's in connection with another story of what was happening with the people of God at the time. But suffice it to say that Elijah doesn't have some promise from God that, that he can pray and God will stop the weather, but he has this faith. He just believes that God can do it. So he prays this crazy big prayer for a very specific purpose for the people of Israel. And for three and a half years, it doesn't rain. And then he prays again, and it starts pouring rain. How amazing is that? That, That's the gift of faith at work in the life of a person. Here's a historical example. Some of you will be more familiar with this one. Uh, This is a guy by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller uh, was a a horrible person. He was far from God, hated Jesus, did a lot of horrible things, and had a radical conversion. God uh, grabbed his heart, totally changed his life. And in the early 1800s, George Mueller in Bristol, England, started to found all these schools and orphanages for the poor community in Bristol. And George Mueller, almost to an extreme would pray about everything. I mean, everything, the stuff that you take for granted or the stuff that you don't even think about. He, he, he would pray about everything. And what's crazy is he, he kept a journal, a diary of all the answers to prayer over the years throughout his school years and his orphanage years. And, and it's now published. You can buy it and read more of these stories from himself. There are hundreds and hundreds of these stories. Let me just give you one, but he was a man who, ironically, he himself said he didn't have the gift of faith, which I think is oddly encouraging that George Mueller did not think that he had the gift of faith. And yet I would just say as an observer, he had the gift of faith, right? As an example, here's what happened. One morning, the orphanage had no food, and he had over 300 orphans that were hungry, about to go off to school, needed food. And so he had the schoolmaster bring, or he had the, uh, the, the, the overseer had bring all the, the orphans, over 300 of them, into the dining room. They all sat down at tables, and George Mueller said, all right, let's pray for our food, right? This is sort of like the, the Peter Pan moment, you know, where you're like, there's no food here. What do we, you know? Like, let's sit down, we're going to pray for our food. And so they begin to, they begin to pray, and uh, as soon as George Mueller says amen, there's a knock on the door, and it's a baker. And the baker says, Mr. Mueller, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. I got up early and baked some batches for you. I will bring it in. 
And then as soon as he comes in with the bread, another knock at the door, true story, and it's the milkman. And the milkman was delivering milk throughout the, the county there in England, but his wheel broke on his cart, and it was going to take him a long time to fix. It was a hot day, so the milk would spoil by the time he was able to get it delivered. So he was like, I can't do anything with this milk. Could you use the milk? And he's like, yeah, we, thank you. We just prayed for this. And this is like one of literally hundreds of stories like this that are just unexplainable. He's praying for stuff that like, who of us would sit around in a room and pray for a meal that doesn't yet exist and then have God show up in that way? That is the gift of faith at work. Friends, here's what I want you to think about. Some of you in this room have the gift of faith. You have the gift of faith. And you need to exercise. You need to use this gift, not for your own gain or for your own purposes, but God is stirring up faith in you to pray big prayers so that things that you could not in your own human strength have happen could happen because of his grace. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to see, which is in verse 10. Notice what he goes on to say. Paul says, to another, the working of miracles. To another, the working of miracles. So the second thing I want you to see is workings of miracles. Now, a few things to note here on this. This phrase is interesting because in Greek, both the word workings and the word miracles are plural. And it doesn't show up that way in your English translations, but the word workings is plural and the word miracles is plural. In other words, there is no such thing as a miracle worker. Uh, miracles or gifts of miracles are things that God in the moment will pour out that anybody, any one of us as we're praying could have God use this gift, could intervene in our lives. And it's something that just happens spontaneously. It's not like I walk around and at will, I can be like miracle, miracle, miracle. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it's whenever God sees fit that he will give a gift of a miracle for a particular time and for a particular Reason. So that's the first thing that you need to see. The second thing that's really important is that the word miracles is actually uh, dunamos in Greek. It's where we get our word dynamite from, and it means power or powers. So I actually think this is a, a more helpful way to think of it because miracle in our culture is like, uh, hey, I uh, the the thunder got the play in. It's a miracle, you know, or hey, I've got a parking place at the grocery store on Thanksgiving morning and it was a good parking place. It's a miracle. It's, it's a God thing. Do you have people in your life that use that phrase all the time for everything? It's a God thing. It's like, yeah, everything is a God thing if you define it that way, okay? Stop saying it's a God thing, all right? Everything is a God, you know, everything's a miracle. Everything can be a miracle. People say that all the time. So I actually think this word powers is better because this word powers is helping you understand that these are things that it's God showing up and displaying his many, very diverse powers in specific ways. Powers over the physical creation or over bodies or over things or over events. It's amazing to think of the varied powers that God has poured out on the church at various times. Let me give you some biblical examples of workings of powers or miracles. Jesus walking on water. Jesus turning water into wine. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a small amount of food. Uh, I've already mentioned this one, Elijah praying and the rain stopping and then praying and the rain starting again. Uh, one of my favorite stories is Peter getting released from prison in Acts chapter 12. Uh, Peter gets arrested. He's placed in prison. The early church holds a prayer meeting. They're praying for God to deliver Peter. And, and it's almost like they're praying and don't really think he's gonna do it. God shows up. He sends an angel to the prison and Peter walks out and he's like, well, I guess I should go find the church. And so he, he goes to where the church is gathered and he knocks on the door and the girl that answers the door is like, oh, hey, Peter, we're praying for your release. And then shuts the door and goes back in and forgets to tell anybody that Peter's standing out there. And so Peter's like, what is going on? It takes forever to pe for Peter to get inside of the house. And eventually they realize like, oh, a miracle just happened. A working of God's power. He, he, something that you can't explain. He opened up the prison cell and an angel led him out. That's amazing, right? Now, he, here's maybe the bigger question that we need to wrestle with. Why? Why does God do this? Why does God give miracles to the church, to the people of God? What's the purpose of workings of powers? Well, there's some major misunderstanding around this because of something that Jesus says in Matthew 12, where he says, a, a crooked and evil generation asks for a sign. A crooked and evil generation 
demands a sign. What's really interesting is a lot of people grew up in a church context where they thought because of that thing that Jesus said that it's always wrong to pray for miracles or signs and wonders. It's always wrong for pray to, to pray for God to show up in, in unique, powerful, unexplainable, miraculous ways. And I just want to say that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is addressing the scribes and the Pharisees when he makes that comment, and he's specifically addressing them. You can go read this in Matthew 12, because right before they demand a sign from Jesus, he had just done like 47 of them. He'd healed a bunch of people. He'd cast out demons. He'd done all these things. They're watching all of it. And what Jesus is pointing to is basically they are saying that their heart posture is totally shut off in terms of faith towards God. They want nothing to do with real belief in God, but they're just wanting Jesus to dance for them. Hey, show us what you can do. do. Do another thing, do another thing, and we'll really weigh and test and see if we want to believe you. And Jesus is saying that's a sign of your, your crookedness in your heart and your evilness in your heart. We actually know it's not wrong to pray for miracles because in Acts chapter four, the early church is praying for God to pour out his spirit so that signs and wonders would occur on the earth. So friends, it's actually okay to pray. And, and here's the why. Why? Why does God do this? Let me show you this in Acts 13 of a story of what I would call a working of power. Acts 13 is about Barnabas and Paul. They're on a missionary journey. And here's what we read in verse six. But when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So here's a, a wealthy, well-known, powerful leader in the city, wants to hear more about God. He calls for Barnabas. He calls for Saul or Paul, and he wants to hear more about the gospel. But verse eight, look at this. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is fascinating, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, the chicken soup for the soul, you, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Now here's the why. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Friends, suffice it to say that God shows up in miraculous, powerful ways to draw out our awe and our worship and to take people who are far from God and help them believe. God is wakening people up. He's drawing them in. He's showing them, look, I really am alive. I really, am, I really can intervene in human history. And it stirs up worship and faith in the heart of the church. And that leads me to the last gift that we're gonna look at. Look at verse nine again, but the second half of verse nine. It says, and to another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. Gifts of healing by the one spirit. The third and final thing that I want you to see is gifts of healings. Now, just like workings of powers or workings of miracles, gifts of healings is plural. It's really helpful. So let me just blow up two myths real quickly about gifts of healings. Number one, a, a person can have the gift of healing. That's not true. That's a myth. There is no such thing as a person having the gift of healing or being a faith healer. Faith healers don't exist. The Bible doesn't talk about them. It doesn't mention them. There's no person walking around who's like, I have the gift of healing and I can just heal people at will. It doesn't work that way. It's plural, meaning every time God gives a healing, every time you're praying over someone who is sick and that person gets healed, that is God giving a gift of a healing in that particular instance. And here's the crazy cool thing about that. That means that every follower of Jesus can be used by God to see healing happen. That means we can all play a role here. We can all see this take place. Now, I have been around people who, for whatever reason, when they pray, though they don't always see healings happen, will usually see the same types of healings happen. Like I've been around people that 
for whatever reason, they pray for headaches and headaches go away. Uh, my friend, Sam Storms, who uh, mentored me and poured into me and discipled me, him and his wife, Anne, for whatever reason, have a gift to pray for couples with infertility. And up to this point, they, he told me the other day, he said that he's unaware of one couple. There's not one couple that he's aware of that him and his wife have prayed for that has not been able to conceive. But he says, he also said, he's like, I don't think I've been, he said, I think I could count on one hand the amount of times that God has healed other people through my prayers. So how interesting is that, that like he prays over one particular thing and he sees it happen. So, so that I think does happen, but no one walks around having the gift of healing. And this is a big objection because a lot of people go, well, if that's real, why don't you just go to the hospital and clear out the hospital and lay hands on every single person, and set them all loose and let them all be healed and go home. It doesn't work that way. We pray over sick people, sometimes God heals them. We pray over sick people, sometimes God doesn't heal them. We, we, don't, we don't fully know how that works, but it's, it's a gift for a particular moment. Second myth is that if you could ever heal, you could always heal. Well, that's just simply not true. The Apostle Paul had a dramatic healing ministry. He was used by God in really powerful ways. Like here's one example. This is in Acts 19. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. The first time I read that, I had to do a double take and read it like three more times. I was shocked at every level. First of all, I was like, Paul wore an apron? That's amazing, right? From one chef to another, I appreciate that, right? Like, this is a big deal. I've got a Bible verse for the apron now. But, but the other thing is, if you're, if you're like, is that why the weird people on TPN sell handkerchiefs at a, like a crazy high price, you know, and anoint it with stupid oil? Yes, that's why. That's why right here. Like, you can see where they jump the shark. This is a weird revival moment in the Apostle Paul's ministry where things that touched his body were used by God to heal other people. I don't understand that, but it happened. That's wild but we should not sell handkerchiefs to other people so that it would continue to happen, right? So now think about this. Paul was healing people in this season of his life in dramatic, powerful ways. God was using Paul to heal people. And yet, Paul couldn't always heal. He couldn't heal Epaphroditus when he was on his deathbed in Philippians 2. You can read about that. He couldn't heal Timothy of his frequent ailments. Um, we actually have Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5 telling Timothy to drink a little wine or like, in other words, read in, take modern medicine, you know, like drink some wine for your frequent ailments. I mean, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, he couldn't heal Trophimus in 2 Timothy chapter 4, who he says, I really wanted to send Trophimus to you, but he's really sick. And where is he? He's with Paul. Well, Paul, why don't you heal Trophimus? For whatever reason, I'm sure he prayed for Trophimus, but Trophimus didn't get healed, so he couldn't send him on this journey. And then most interestingly, Paul couldn't heal himself. And we're not exactly sure what was going on with Paul, but we have evidence in Galatians chapter 4 and potentially 2 Corinthians uh, where he, he talks about this bodily ailment. Most scholars and theologians think that Paul had some horrible eye defect or issue that was like, like noticeably gross and off-putting to be around Paul. And for whatever reason, Paul couldn't heal himself of his own disease. How interesting is that? Now, here's what I think it boils down to. And I just want to take a few more minutes on this because I think this matters. I think the, the, the greatest obstacle when it comes to you and I praying for people who are sick to be healed, the greatest obstacle has to do with this one thing. What is God's will when it comes to healing? What is his will? And I think that because people are, for lack of a better way to say it, constipated on that question, they're unsure of how to pray when it comes to other issues of healing. So let me give you two really wrong views of how this can go. The first one is that it's God's will to always heal. And what's referred to when people say this is it's always his will to heal on this side of eternity. Now, I would actually believe and agree that it's God's will to always heal if by that you mean that one day Jesus is gonna bring the fullness of the kingdom to this earth and right every wrong and wipe away every tear from every eye and make all things new, then, then amen to amen. He is going to ultimately heal and that is his long-term will, absolutely. But to say that every single time 
It's God's will to heal, and the thing that's getting in the way is my lack of faith or my sin or some past issue or whatever, I think is majorly problematic. Exodus 4 verse 11, God says this to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's a powerful statement that if you are going to say that it's God's will to always heal, I think you've got verses like that that you've got to grapple with where God is seemingly saying something different. Number two, the second ditch that people can swerve into is that it's God's will to rarely heal. Now, this camp treats praying for healing like praying for manna to fall from heaven. Do I believe that manna could fall from heaven right now, that God has the power and the ability to do that? Do I believe that? Yes. In fact, let's take it a step further. I believe that God could drop big truck tacos off at our front door and we could all have burritos and tacos for lunch, which would be amazing and sign me up. I'd be the first to want that. Am I going to pray for that? No, because I don't think that God has any desire to send burritos to Frontline South today. I don't think he's going to send 100 tacos to Frontline South today. So I don't pray for that because I think he has the power to do it. I just don't think he wills to do it. I don't think he wants to do it. Hey, that's how the majority of you treat praying for healing. I don't think Frontline South is in the first ditch. We may have a handful of people that tend to drift towards it's God's will to always heal, but the majority of us have drifted into an equally unhelpful ditch on the other side that says that it's God's will to rarely heal. And what you have effectively is a group of people that trust God's power, but don't actually pray with any intensity or faith or confidence because they don't really think that God wants to show up in that way. I think this is a huge area of growth for us as a church. And the way to understand the will of God behind healing is to look at the heart of God. And the way you look at the heart of God is to look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Theologically, we believe that Jesus fully represents God to humanity, that he is God and is a window into the heart of the Father. And if you want to know how God feels about sickness, disease, and healing, just look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Let me just read you some texts. In Matthew 4, we read that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them all. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus didn't just have a teaching ministry, he had a healing ministry. Here's another one a few chapters later in Matthew 8. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he said, I'll pray for you, and he left the house. No, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. And that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Notice that prior to this and after this, Jesus is healing constantly. He's healing all these different people again and again. In fact, I'm not aware of one single story in the New Testament where someone who was sick was brought to Jesus and Jesus did not heal that person. I'm not saying it never happened. I'm just saying I'm not aware of one story. In fact, the only story that I could even think of is Lazarus who uh, dies and like, you didn't heal our brother. And Jesus is like, here, hold my beer, right? And, and by the way, if don't email me about that, please. Jesus, Jesus didn't drink beer. He drank wine. Take it up. Like, I, I just, don't email me about that. But Jesus shows up to Lazarus and he's like, oh, you think I didn't? Raises him from the dead. This is unbelievably powerful from Jesus. So, so friends, why does God love to heal? Why does he love to heal? Well, I'm going to quickly give you a few reasons. One, God is filled with compassion and mercy. He's filled with compassion and mercy. Compassion and mercy are given as the primary reason why Jesus heals in the New Testament. Not always, but the primary, most consistent reason is because of his compassion. He healed the demonically oppressed young boy in Mark 9, 
because of his compassion. He raised the widow's dead son in Luke 7 because of his compassion. He healed the blind in Matthew 9 and healed the lepers in Luke 17 and healed the most demonically oppressed person in the New Testament in Mark chapter 5. And every time it said he was moved with compassion, moved with pity, moved with mercy. He is still the same Jesus today as he was when he did his three years here on earth with public ministry. Same. His heart has not changed. Sam Storm says this. He says, every time Jesus heals, we catch a glimpse into his heart. Healing is a window into the soul of our Savior. It reveals the depth of his care and compassion for people. Number two, healing brings God glory. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead for his glory. Jesus raises the widow's son from the dead, and it resulted in God being glorified in Luke chapter 7. Peter healed the lame beggar in Acts 3, and it resulted in all the crowds who are present glorifying God. People directly give God glory over and over and over and over when a healing occurs. I can't give you all the references. Just read Luke, the gospel of Luke, and notice every time God heals through Christ, you'll see God being glorified again and again. Number three, God loves to respond to our faith. God loves to respond to our faith. A few weeks ago, I talked about creating a hospitable environment for God, right? Places that God longs to manifest his presence. And what I want you to see is faith creates a hospitable environment for God. In the vast majority of instances in which Jesus healed someone, faith is given as a reason why. He did it because of their faith. You are well because of your faith. Or sometimes it was the faith of friends or family members around them. And yes, sometimes faith played no role whatsoever. There's a story in John chapter 5 where there's a man laying by what's called the pool of Bethesda. And he's been sick and lame for a long, long, long time, years and years. And Jesus has to walk up to this guy and say, do you want to be healed is the question. Do you want to be healed? And the guy gives sort of a non-answer. He's like, well, I've been laying by this pool for a long time and nobody can get me into the pool. And he doesn't say yes or no. He just is like, yeah, you know, it's kind of his, his attitude. And Jesus says, you're healed. Get up and walk. Faith played no apparent role in his healing, but often it does. And by the way, when I say faith, I'm not talking about psychological certainty. I'm talking about two things, two things knowing that God can and trusting his willingness to heal. Knowing that he can and trusting his willingness. That's what I'm inviting us as a church to operate in. We know you can and we know that you are willing, right? We know that you are willing. Number four, God loves to heal to keep his promises. James 5 says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I think when James references the prayer of faith, he's referencing that charismatic faith where you just are saying, there are times where I'm praying for someone who's sick, and I'm like, God's going to heal him. I, I'm not shocked at all. Like, I know without a doubt that God is gonna heal this person. It's only happened a handful of times in my life, and those times that it's happened, God has healed those people. I think that's what James is talking about. But friends, don't miss the heart of this. Here in this text is a verse that says, are you sick? If you're sick, here's some steps that you should take. And can I just lovingly, as your pastor point out, very, very few of you take this step. Like, you should be putting your pastors to work. That's why you pay us. That's why we, we, we do this. Like, I had a sweet member of our church last week reach out, and she was like, hey, I've got a concerning doctor's report. Could you anoint us with oil? We were like, heck yes, we will. We would, we'd be honored to do that. And I think that often what happens is that what you do is you just go take ibuprofen or you go see your doctor. And I want to say, take ibuprofen, go to your doctor, please. You should definitely do those things. And also, come on a Sunday and have us anoint you with oil and pray over you. Put us to work on Sundays. Uh, call us and have us show up at your house and we'll pray for you and anoint you with oil. That's what this text says. Why don't we do this? And what I wanna say, friends, what I wanna say is like, if we as a church will make a turn and we will start praying with a little bit more um, uh, zeal, a little bit more faith, a little bit more trust in God's ability and willingness, I just think that we would see more and more and more people healed by God's grace as a church. I just think we would. When I started praying for more and more and more people and stopped using the excuse of, well, I don't know God's will, 
more people started to get healed around me. I think that's what we can see as a church. Number five, quickly, healing demonstrates the presence of the kingdom. I don't need to unpack that. Healing, number six, opens up doors for the gospel. You have an unbelieving neighbor or a coworker and they're sick. Why don't you just risk and be like, hey, I know this is weird to you, but could I pray that God would heal you right now? And then they're like, uh, sometimes they'll say no, and that's a little bit awkward. Sometimes they'll say yes. And then when they say yes and God does heal them, it's an amazing conversation to be like, now what do you think of Jesus? Because he just healed you. Let's talk about Jesus, right? So I just want to invite you to like pray for people who are far from God, who are sick, see what God will do, right? We did this with uh, someone in our extended family that was having back issues and he was walking out the door and was far from God, wants nothing to do with God. And we're like, hey, you're having back issues. Can we pray for you? We pray for him and God heals his back. And now we're like, let's talk about Jesus together, right? Uh, Number seven, and finally, God loves to heal because God is not a Gnostic. In other words, Gnostics have a disconnect between spirit and body that the only thing that God really cares about is the spiritual, but the physical he doesn't care about. God's not a Gnostic. He actually loves the human body. He loves not just your heart, but he died to redeem all of you. And there's coming a day because of the resurrection of Jesus that your physical body will be raised as well. That's how much he cares about you, that he's going to not throw your body in the trash, but redeem it and resurrect it, right? Now, why does he not heal briefly? Because of sin sometimes. Certainly not all sickness is a result of sin. Maybe not even most sickness. But there are times where sin is a direct, where sickness rather is a direct result of sin. Now that gets abused and misused by weird people, but just remember that most of the time we don't think sin has anything to do with sickness in terms of my own personal sin and why I might be physically sick. But you do read things like 1 Corinthians 11, where people are getting sick and even dying because of their sin and how they're taking the Lord's Supper and they're dishonoring the body of Christ. And as a result of their sin, they're getting sick and some are even dying. So don't count it out. Number two, unbelief. Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown of Nazareth precisely because of their lack of faith. You can read about that in Matthew 13 where it says he couldn't do many miracles there because they didn't believe. So belief creates a hospitable environment for God. It's not always the reason why, but it could be sometimes. Number three, the redemptive value of suffering. There are things that only suffering can teach a person. And there's a redemptive value to whatever heartache and tragedy every person in this room has experienced or is walking through right now. And some of the deepest people I know are people who have suffered the most. They've gone through a seminary of suffering and they're offering something that otherwise they would not be able to offer to the world, but God has blessed and used their suffering. It doesn't make their suffering right or good, but it does make it redemptive. And then finally, number four, sovereign timing and sovereign mysteries. I have prayed over babies and sometimes God's healed those babies. And I've prayed over other babies and then done their funeral. I don't know why. I don't know why people die. I don't know why God doesn't say yes to every prayer. I don't know why we don't see more and more and more and more miracles as the kingdom of God continues to advance in our world. There's a lot of questions that I have about this, but at at some point we just have to trust and say sovereign timing and sovereign mysteries. There's some things that we will not understand. So therefore, how should we pray for healing? And and I'm closing with this, I promise. How should we pray? Well, here's how I want to invite you to pray. What if you started praying for healing the same way that you start sharing the gospel? and praying for your lost friends who are far from God. God alone can do it. You can't. You have no guarantee that God is going to save the people in your life that you're praying for, but you pray for them, and you evangelize, and you share Jesus, you share the gospel, you point them back to scripture, you're doing your best to try to you know, do everything. You, I mean, you're, you're asking God to move in their heart, and God is the one that has to move. Why do we complicate it with healing? What if we prayed for healing the exact same way as a church where we just said, hey, listen, God will do what God will do. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know his heart. I know his character. I know his goodness. I know his compassion. I know that he loves faith. I know that he loves when we trust him to do big things. So we are going to pray in faith that God is going to move and we'll trust him if he doesn't. Sort of the Daniel and his friends in the fire, like God is able to deliver us from this fire, but even if he doesn't, 
we still trust him. That's the posture that you and I need to have when it comes to healing. Jack Taylor says, always assume it is God's will to heal unless shown otherwise by divine revelation or death. When do I stop praying for healing? When God says, stop praying for healing. Or when the person I'm praying for dies. Other than that, we should keep begging and asking and going back. So I want to invite you, would you stand with me? I want, to, I want to close a little bit differently today because of the, the time that we have and I want to make sure that I'm maximizing your time. So instead of just coming to the table, I'm actually going to dismiss you in just a minute and you can come and receive communion and take it and go back to groups or whatever you need to do and then, and then leave from there. But, but I, want to, I want to just say a couple of things and remind you of a couple of things that, man, here's the reality. In Scripture, it talks about our sin as a sickness. And our sin is so bad that it's a sickness that leads to death. And in fact, Ephesians 2 is gonna say that you and I were so sinful that we were dead in sin. Like, if you think of someone physically sick on their deathbed, we had died spiritually. But then it goes on to say this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had for you, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved through faith. This isn't your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that we can't boast. God has poured out his grace on us. And when we were dead in sin with a heart that wasn't beating for God at all, He reached down and he replaced our stony heart with a heart of flesh. He made us alive. And just like you see Jesus going to lepers that no one would touch, no one wanted to be around a leper, they were a social outcast. Jesus would touch lepers. Everybody avoided lepers to not be unclean, but Jesus is so powerful and so clean that when he touches something unclean, it becomes clean as well. Friends, the body of Jesus was broken for you. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. He has come and he has touched many people in this room and he has made you clean. He's made you loved, forgiven, adopted. And if God cares that much about you, doesn't he also care about the smaller things that you carry too? I just want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to come and receive this meal But some of you, some of you, before you rush to the table, some of you, man, you need to come and receive prayer. So we're gonna have men and women down front. I wanna invite our elders down front. I wanna invite our deacons down front, community group leaders down front. And we're gonna be ready to pray with you. And what I wanna invite you to do is to actually show up here. And maybe you've got sickness in your body today. Hey, let's just ask God to heal you. Maybe you've asked a hundred times and you're like, man, I don't know that I have it in me to ask one more time. Would you just ask one more time? Let's do it one more time. Maybe some of you, man, you need healing from the unanswered prayers that you've experienced and you're just like emotionally wrecked because of the ways that God seemingly didn't come through. Man, let's pray for you today. Earlier, we were praying for a guy and uh, he said, I almost didn't come down front because I've asked for this before. And there's like this reluctance in him. And man, we were able to just minister to him and he experienced the love of God in a fresh way. We had another person that uh, had back issues and, and the last thing that the uh, Brandon, Pastor Brandon said to him was like, if God heals you, would you come back and, and tell us? And he's like, yep. And he walks off. And then a few minutes later, he's like, oh my gosh, my back feels better. <laughs> you know, and so it's, I think the Lord healed him, you know? And, and then we prayed for other people and I don't know that he healed him or not. So I, I don't know what's gonna happen. I just trust that God loves you. He sees you, he knows you. And some of you, man, you just, you need to like push past the unbelief today and have the Lord minister to you. So we're gonna have people down front. When you're ready, come and receive. If you're a follower of Jesus that has been baptized, place faith in Jesus, come and receive the bread and the wine. If you're not a Christian, come up and get prayer or ask questions about Jesus. We love you. We are glad that you're here. So come and receive this. And I'm sending you now. I'm gonna send you. So would you hold out your hand? May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, and may the Lord give you peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed and loved and sent out as his sons and daughters to love and serve our city. You can come and respond however you'd like to respond.